0: Let's do it. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey. Hello, it's Paul and by the Vancouver
1: Giants. I'm Kirby Dock of the Saskatoon Blades. I'm Dylan Cousins of the Hurricanes. Hey guys, this is Cam here. Spencer Knight. This is Matt Moldy. It's Alex Turcotte from Team USA. Hi, it's Maurice Sider from the I'm.
0: This is Alexis Lafreniere of the Rimouski Oceanic. Major Junior. They were the best in the QMJHL, and now the Huskies are Memorial Cup champions. NCAA. Everybody in that Bulldog section's on their feet. The bench is
2: ready to party as the UMD Bulldogs are back-to-back national champions.
0: The World Juniors. Time winding down, and Finland has won the World Junior Championship in Vancouver in spectacular style. The NHL draft.
1: With the first pick overall, the New Jersey Devils are proud to select from the U.S. program Jack Hughes.
0: And more. Unbelievable. Wow. That's incredible. This is The Pipeline Show. All right. Well,
2: good weekend and welcome to another episode of the Pipeline Show. My name is Gee Flaming. Thanks again for uh, taking the time to download this week's episode. If you're a returning listener, much appreciated. If you're a newcomer to the program, then uh, welcome aboard. And uh, wherever you got your the copy of this week's episode, if there is a way to leave a, a rating or a ranking or a comment or both, uh, please take a, a second and do that. It would be a, a big help for uh, promoting the show and also uh, for letting other uh, folks know, who maybe just stumble across it as they're doing a search or something like that. Uh, Give them a little bit of information about the show before they try it. Might encourage them to try it. So I'd appreciate it if you would leave a comment or a ranking or a rating or both wherever you get your uh, copy of The Pipeline Show. As always, we start with the question of the day. I put that on on, uh, Twitter early uh, this morning on uh, Friday as I'm speaking with you right now. It's uh, Friday morning. Uh, The question of the day this week. Here on the Pipeline Show, the basic premise of the show is I want to talk, uh, I want to introduce the audience to the future of the NHL, whether that's uh, mostly players, sometimes coaches. Uh, but where do future NHL players come from? Well, mostly they come from the uh, Canadian Hockey League or from the NCAA, sometimes from Europe, and I talk to those guys uh, in, the, in the 2020 uh, draft spotlight or whatever year it happens to be. So those are the leagues I mainly focus on, the CHL and the NCAA, but uh, I do talk about other leagues and, and cover other leagues as well here on the show. If you're a, a long-time listener, you know. I, I get into you know the CJHL, whether it's the AJHL or the BCHL, or you know we've uh, this past summer had the commissioners on from several CJHL leagues uh, across uh, Canada. Uh, I've also talked uh, about the USHL. Uh, dipped my toe into the NAHL. haven't done a lot with the North American Hockey League, and that's part of the reason for the, uh, the question of the week. U-sports, uh, I've uh, been talking a lot about U-sports this year because it's becoming much more of a NHL producer, or at least a pro hockey producer, uh, than it was, say, 15, 20 years ago. Uh, we're seeing players every year now signing pro deals to play in North America. Uh, and uh, and some of those guys go on to the NHL. So it's now a league that I think is important to cover as well. So that is uh, where the question comes from. The question of the week, which of these leagues do you want to hear about and guess from the most. And if you have any specific uh, player or coach or GM requests, uh, you can certainly uh, let me know on Twitter as well. You can find the poll at TPS underscore Gee. And uh, the uh, early lead in the uh, vote, and oh, these are the four leagues that I put up. U-Sports, the CJHL, the American Hockey League, or the USHL slash NAHL. Right now U-Sports has uh, the lead uh, on the poll, but you can find that at TPS underscore Guy. Let's get to the news and notes, and I think you almost have to start with uh, the hot topic of the uh, the week here. After the uh, firing of Mike Babcock in Toronto and the subsequent fallout that's uh, hit the Calgary Flames and uh, news breaking here today, and by the time you're hearing this, it, it will no longer be news, uh, but uh, Bill Peters is out with the Calgary Flames, and all of this stemming from, Uh, the way they've treated their players at the NHL level and at the minor hockey league level or at the uh, minor pro level uh, for Bill Peters with Akeem Alou. And, of course, Akeem Alou has had these experiences for uh, much of his life uh, dating back to uh, junior hockey days, uh, Steve Downey. Uh, You can find all those stories, just Google that if you want. But that's pretty much, I think, where we have to start. There's been so much on Twitter here the last few days. And I don't think anybody out there with a reasonable mind it would be uh, supportive of a an abusive coach, and certainly sexual abuse cases or physical abuse cases like uh, Bill Peters apparently was was kicking players on the bench and and obviously when he's using racial slurs like that that is uh, that's way over the line. Um, I, I I've never been in that situation where I've been you know I'm not. I did not play at a high level, so I don't know what it's like to be in a junior hockey uh, dressing room. Uh, I don't go on the bus. I don't have that insight, that inside knowledge to know what happens in those, uh, you know, those team only meetings. I'm not on the bus, so I don't see the interaction between coaches and players. Um, So I'm not in a position to say who is and who isn't an abusive coach and to what level that goes on but we we've, we've seen stories over the years uh, in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League this past summer and that's why when i had the gms on from all the leagues this year uh, this past summer i brought that uh, topic up about hazing uh, and uh, you know all the gms said that's uh, absolutely against the rules and uh, and uh, i've been on record for a long time saying that i think the penalties have to be severe enough that it is a deterrent so that it never happens uh, and i don't think it you know it's if it's happens at a player's only party or something like that, then I still think somebody has to be held responsible for that. I don't have all the answers. And and again, being not in that position before, I don't even, I don't really know what that hockey culture is like. My kids aren't, they don't play hockey. So I didn't, uh, I don't have that firsthand knowledge. Uh, I did see, you know, obviously Dan Carcillo has been uh, very vocal about it uh, here this week and uh, trying to uh, support and uh, offer a platform for uh, a lot of players who uh, say they've gone through difficult times obviously and I think that is definitely of a value uh, he singled out Brent Sutter which surprised me a little bit because Brent Sutter I'm not gonna say he's my friend but we he's been a guest on the show several times and we've had uh, uh, this show has had a very good working relationship with the Red deer rebels and uh, and Brent Sutter always a great guest when he's on the show but that doesn't mean that you know, I absolve him of any wrongdoing if there is wrongdoing. I've never heard it associated with Brent Sutter, though. Uh, and uh, I, I saw Dan Carcillo's uh, tweets, uh, well, redirecting tweets from some former players who uh, are anonymous, and I understand the need for that from their perspective. Uh, but without knowing the actual allegations, it's it's hard to make a judgment call. And I saw the reply and the response from the Rebels and from Brent Sutter. And, and um, you know, it's... It's a very tough situation. You you definitely don't want to hear about the players who have been abused mentally. And, and that's another thing, you know, it's so individualized. I mean, if I, I had a conversation with a coach, you're going to hear that conversation in this episode. And we talked about it for 10 minutes after the interview was over, just about on this topic, about what you can and what you can't do and how things have changed over the years as a broadcaster. I've called games where you know one team is down by three goals after a period, and they look terrible in that period. And then the next period, they come out and they they play like their hairs on fire, and they get back into the game. and you, And you make the comment, you know, like, oh, obviously the coach went in the room and tore a strip off, peeled the paint off the walls, whatever. And they came out and they responded. Well, in a situation like that, I think every individual player probably responds differently. I mean, if if I'm playing terrible and a coach tells me to pull my f and head out of my ass. Well, for me, that might, I might react one way, but the player next to me, if the coach says that to him, he might feel completely different. You know, one of us might feel like, oh my God, like you're way over the line. The other player may be like, you know what? You're right. I got to play better, and it might spur them on. I, th- I think it's got to be a, a really tough job for a coach to manage 25 different personalities in a room, and especially a, a coach who's been around for years and years, 25 players every year, maybe 30, depending on you know the uh, ins and outs of your roster, over a 20- or 30-year period, that's got to be a real challenge, especially the way players are today compared to the way they were in the 80s. Uh, I mean, everything evolves, and coaches have to evolve too. So when these allegations uh, against uh, Brent Sutter have been made, I'd never heard anything like that about Brent Sutter. Obviously, we see him on the bench. He can be a very passionate and fired-up guy. But that doesn't mean that he's mistreating his players. Now, Dan Garcilo's tweets say from from other players, from past players, uh, say that that has happened for them. But now we're also seeing former Rebels like uh, Brandon Hagel and uh, Jeff DeWitt and some others who are supporting Brent Sutter and saying that wasn't the case for them. He always held us accountable. Uh, and maybe that's see that's where I was talking about you know f- what Brandon Hagel hears in a in a message is one thing, and what that same message is delivered to somebody else might come across to that player as over the line. I'm certainly not going to be the guy to to point fingers at anybody uh, because I'm not in that situation. I don't see those conversations, so that would be unfair for me uh, to judge. I will say again on record, as I have many many times here on the Pipeline Show. Sexual abuse, obviously, to me that's criminal and that should be prosecuted to the full legal extent uh, that is out there. Physical abuse is is wrong. The verbal stuff, the mental abuse, I don't know how to judge that. But if you have thoughts on it, hey, please feel free to hit me up on Twitter at TPS underscore Gee. Now, I've heard things about different coaches in the WHL in the past. There were stories about Kevin Constantine with the Everett Silvertips. I don't know if they're just uh, like uh, folklore, legends, uh, you know, urban myths kind of thing. But you know, I was told that he made a a team after a a loss on the road that he made them uh, ride the bus back to the to Everett in their gear, which, like, that's if that happened. And I don't know if it happened for sure or not. That's not okay. But again, I don't know if it happened. Um, I'd heard things about uh, Tim Hunter. Uh, in down in Moose Jaw about how you know the players didn't really like playing for him but I don't know that I'm not there but a player who was there and uh shared some insight into Tim Hunter was Noah Greger and uh Jason Greger who hosts a show here in Edmonton on TSN 1260 Uh, earlier this week after the news Mike Babcock came out weighed in on that a little bit and relayed uh, some of the the uh the stories that uh That Noah Greger had told him about Tim Hunter. I'm just going to share the clip. This comes from the Jason Greger show on TSN 1260. Uh, Greggs is on from 2 until 6 p.m. Monday to Friday.
0: Uh, Here's what Jason Greger had to say earlier this week. Any type of abuse is about power. And Mike Babcock wanted to ensure that everybody knew he was the big dog at the top. And sadly, there are coaches like that. Some of the worst are in junior. I talked about it on my show, and I had to tread very lightly a few years because my nephew played for Tim Hunter, who was a complete ass as a human being on how he treated young players in that organization. Go look at Moose Jaw and wonder why, with all the good players, that ever won in the playoffs. Right? When you bench your veteran toughest player on your team, Josh Thrower, in Game six and seven, because he's ten minutes late for curfew, and because you want to show everybody you're the big hot dog, he wasn't coming back to your team the next year. Right. You make players as clean the bus at three in the morning because you didn't like how they played a game. Seriously. And go down the list, berating a young rookie in front of the entire team, mocking them. Right. And, and the worst part was the players, the players after my nephew left and was playing in another team. With two games left in the season, they had a player revolt. You want to know why? Because Tim Hunter, because he didn't like how the team was playing, he quit coaching on the bench and had a temper tantrum. And their captain at the time, Brett Howden, had to coach the game. He had to run the bench in the third period. That's your leader? And then when the, co- the players finally had enough, and it's hard when you're 16 and 17 and 18 and 19, and Tim Hunter's an imposing figure. And the thing was, Tim Hunter had a lot of really good ideas as a coach. He really promoted offense. Right? It doesn't mean he was bad in every element, but his communication skills were awful. And then when the players finally had to call their GM to say, hey, like with two games left in the season, they're one of the top teams, and you're having a, a revolt of not wanting to play for your coach, of course they're not going to win the playoffs. And then he's like, well, geez, I didn't think they'd think that way. What? What way do you think they'd react? So it does happen more than people think.
2: There you go, that's uh, from the Jason Greger Show again, TSN 1260, uh, Monday to Friday from uh, 2 until 6 p.m. Earlier this week, I, re- I tweeted in response to another tweet that uh, Dan had uh, put out uh, from a former player in the AJHL who uh, mentioned that, I don't have the tweet in front of me now, but there was a coach in the AJHL who was uh, mentally or verbally abusing uh, some players as well. Oh, and it was about hazing, uh, hazing incident which drives me crazy because I, I don't even, that's the thing about hockey culture and having not experienced it firsthand myself. I don't understand hazing. I don't, if it was a team bonding thing, I, I guess I would kind of understand. It. I don't see how that's a a bonding thing for a team. To me, that's a, that would drive a wedge between players. I don't think that brings a team together. Um, and I mentioned that on Twitter and, uh, I had a response from one listener, uh, Gibby, who says, uh, it's 2019. I endured hazing, and it didn't affect my life. and And my response to him, well, is well, that that's great that it uh, it didn't affect you. Uh, but I asked him, did it in any way make you, your teammates, or your team better? Uh, and I didn't get a reply about that. But I, I I don't get the mentality behind hazing, and and I've you know I've heard some terrible stories. I mean, uh, I guess the, you can go back to the Akima one that I uh, mentioned earlier with. Steve Downey, and I I read the story uh, earlier this week. Uh, I'm I'm going to paraphrase, but apparently Downey gobbed on the floor or something, and, and uh, the, the rookies were expected to suck it up, I think. Um, I, I, I don't know. I don't want to misspeak, and I apologize if I did. Uh, but, like, that's gross. I, I don't understand how that's okay, and the stuff with, you know, stripping guys and stuffing them in the bathrooms on the back of the bus, I don't get it. And I think all of that stuff needs to be gone, and quite honestly, I, I'm surprised if if it's actually happening in this day and age at any level at any sport. It doesn't make sense to me. Now, there were some pictures originally being circulated, uh, you know, guys wearing girls' clothes and posing at a party and stuff um, that were attributed to the Red Deer Rebels, and and actually, I was told um, by somebody near the Rebels that. They couldn't identify anybody in the picture as actually being former rebels, so I don't know if that was the case or not. But you know, somebody tweeted a picture of Jack Eichel wearing a dress and you know posing, and and I think that was an NHL rookie party. But in all these pictures, like the the guys are partying; it's it's a party, and to me, it's it's stupid to have players dress up as girls. You know, I don't I don't get it, but at the same time, the players in the pictures. Don't look like they're being abused by it, or mentally affected by it. I, and again, I'm not a psychiatrist. Maybe they are, and they're just smiling for the for the pictures or whatever. But um, you know, and the the underage drinking stuff. Man, how often do we hear stories about that? With you know, with college, with NCAA teams. I mean, the North Dakota, the the Fighting Sioux or the Fighting Hawks. They were getting guys like T.J. Oshie and, and Danny Christo. They were getting. In legal trouble for stuff like that, it seemed like uh, there were stories every year there for a while. And I mean, the legal drinking age there is 21, and most of those players are 19, 20. You're telling me there's no drinking on, on college campuses? There are underage players drinking at, at uh, CHL parties, or CJHL parties, team parties. It happens. How many of you listening to this right now never had a drink before you were legal drinking age? It's 18 where I am. Yes, I had... <laughs> I had drinks before I was 18 years old. Now, if there are other things happening at team parties that uh, go way over the line in terms of of hazing, or then that opens the door. That's a bigger issue. And I'm just one guy. I, I, you know, I think all hazing stuff is stupid and and ridiculous. And if I was a GM or a coach, you know, I I wouldn't have it around my team at all. I'd be making players and uh, and GMs. Sign documents saying you this isn't going to be allowed, and if it is, instant termination. I don't know what the answer is. All I can tell you is that uh, I don't approve of it. Anybody who tells you that I'm here to protect somebody that would be abusing players or anybody else or that I'm trying to uh, downplay allegations, uh, anybody who says that is a moron. I do not approve of any sort of abuse uh, to uh, players. Okay, can we move on with the show now? That would be great. Uh, Here's what uh, is coming down the pipe today. I didn't get to any of the news and notes that I usually do, but uh, I thought this topic uh, deserved uh, more attention. Uh, But I do have four guests you're going to hear from today, two 2020 draft spotlight segments. We're going to lead the show off with one of them, Dawson Mercer, who plays for the Drummondville Voltageur out of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, uh, rated by everybody as a first-round pick. HockeyProspect.com actually has him as a top-ten pick right now in their most recent ranking. I had a chat with him very early this past week. We'll share that conversation with you. From there, we go to our NCAA campus report, the head coach from Air Force, Frank Saratori. Man, he is a legend. Really enjoyed the conversation with Frank. It's the second time, maybe the third time I've had him on the show, and uh, I I almost wish I could have a uh, regular weekly or monthly segment with Frank. It's audio gold whenever you can uh, speak with Frank Saratori. From there, uh, in the dub segment, we'll feature one half of WHL Unfiltered, Sean Mullen, longtime voice of the Swift Current Broncos. And as he says, uh, two weeks, uh, he was the voice of the Peterborough Petes this past summer. He's back in Swift now and uh, co-hosting Dub Network's WHL podcast. That's WHL Unfiltered. uh, Chat with him about uh, some hot topics around the Western Hockey League. And we'll close out the show today with another 2020 Draft Spotlight. Carter Savoy of the Sheward Park Crusaders leads the league in scoring. Probably will star for Canada West at the uh, World Junior A Challenge here in the next couple of weeks and is up for the NHL draft this year and uh, ranked uh, just outside the first round, probably a, you know, a solid second rounder. Headed to Denver uh, probably next year. That comes up with him and uh, just super talent. Not a big guy, but boy, he's got lots of skill. And if you recognize that name, yes, Matthew Savoy is his younger brother. But uh, today it's Carter Savoy uh, that will close out the show. But we kick it off with the 2020 Draft Spotlight, Dawson Mercer of the Drummondville Voltageur. He's up first here on the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming.
0: And Raymond stays with him, Lafreniere pokes the ahead, still has it. Rolling punch Lafreniere works it, shoots, scores! What a goal by Alexi Lafreniere! A superstar
1: in the this is Alexis Lafreniere of the Rimouski Oceanic, and you're listening to the Pipeline
0: Show.
3: There's a lot of people with disabilities that can't just go out and find a job. So we set out to create a business to fill those needs, one stick at a time. We don't accept can't here. Everyone here learns in different ways, but we want to give everybody every opportunity to find exactly what works for them. There's nothing better than when a customer buys something and then one of our employees say, I made that. They have meaningful lives and build things they can be proud of and get a paycheck for it. I'm Amy Acker and we change lives one job at a time.
0: You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming.
1: comes around is all around. Don't you mean what's all around comes around, Ricky?
2: We are back on the Pipeline Show. We're going to kick this episode off with the 2020 draft spotlight. And uh, for this, we're heading out to the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League uh, to Quebec. But my guest actually comes from Newfoundland uh, and uh, pleased to get a chance to speak with a guy who might uh, right now be projected as a first rounder, maybe even the top 10. Dawson Mercer of the Drummondville Voltageur is my guest. Dawson, welcome to the Pipeline Show.
4: Thank you very much. I appreciate being here.
2: Well, tell me how the season has gone for you and the Voltager right now. I can look at the stats and see, well, the numbers are certainly there for you. I'm guessing you're pretty happy with the way things have gone.
4: Yeah, for sure. We we came in this year with, obviously, a different group from last year's team with a much younger and a lot of rookies, and we we just wanted to make sure we got better every day, and I feel like we've proven that this year with the, the, game, the amount of games we won, and from what people were projecting us to be, I feel like we really accomplished a lot more than what they expected, but... What we felt that we were going to do anyways this year.
2: Everybody's chasing Sherbrooke right now, but uh, the Volts are, uh, you know, in that next group of teams that are are trying to track them down. Uh, have you uh, gone head to head with the Phoenix uh, so far this year? And if so, uh, how'd that work out?
4: Yeah, we uh, we just played them on Friday. We just beat them nice. two to nothing in a close game at home. It was a big game from our full group, but it was it was a cool experience to be be in front of against that top team in the CHL to put them down.
2: So now you're uh, you're in their heads now. You've got that mental advantage. Oh, uh,
4: yeah, yeah. It feels good against <laughs> to get those important wins, especially in your conference wins, uh, against those guys to bring our ranking up.
2: As we're speaking right now, uh, we're 21 games into the season. You have 34 points. This interview will come out in about four or five days, so things could change before then. But uh, 17 goals, 17 assists. Uh, are you pretty happy with that, that production? I mean, you're on pace to blow past your numbers from last year, and that was a good year.
4: Yeah, obviously, yeah, I'm happy with the numbers I put up, but especially with the, the amount of the games we've been winning is important, too, this year. But my, I'm, I like to keep it pretty consistent on both sides of it with the amount of goals and amount of assists. Also, I don't want to be led to just a single-out player of a goal scorer or a playmaker. I like to keep them both in a a general range within the two, and I feel like I'm doing a good job of that.
2: You're reading my mind, Dawson. It's like you're uh, answering my <laughs> questions before I ask. I was going to ask if you see yourself more as a a shooter or a playmaker, but um, it, is it important for you to, I don't know, is that keeping the opposition guessing, or, or how do you view that?
4: No, I just, I, I like to take what the game gives me, you know, I, you never a uh, shot on goal is never a bad option, but obviously you want to make that goalie have more of a decision to make, you don't want him to know that you're always going to be the shooter or the passer on the two-on-ones, you know, you just want to change it up a bit, and I feel like I, I use the variety really good.
2: Uh, are you a guy who sets a, like statistical goals for yourself at the start of the year? I mean, 30 goals last year. Do you say, well, I want to hit 50 or something this year? Are, are you that type of a player?
4: Um, Somewhat and a little bit, but I would say mostly of just like getting better every game, looking at it step by step of just focusing on one game at a time. So I just look in the the short-term span of it. But obviously, yeah, I want to surpass my goals from last year and, and all of my individual stats from last year. I want to make sure they, they improve this year, so that's just the main thing I'm looking at.
2: For me. All right, excellent. Dawson Mercer from the Drummondville Voltageur is my guest here on the Pipeline Show in the 2020 draft spotlight. And Dawson, what I like to do in this segment of the show is uh, let my audience kind of get to know somebody that's in your position, being that it is your NHL draft year, and uh, the audience is across North America, so not everybody that's hearing this will know uh, they don't get to watch the, the Voltageur play and might not know who Dawson Mercer is right now. Uh, so let's get to know you a little bit. Uh, where are you from?
4: I'm from Bay Roberts, Newfoundland, little town outside of the city St. John's. I'm about one hour away of a uh, population around
2: seven thousand. Seven thousand people in Bay Roberts. All right. Uh, and you remember how old you were when you first started playing? Oh, uh, I would say around five five years old. Around that age, I feel the most
4: common age for most young hockey players when they begin. But I would say around that time.
2: All right. Who got you into it uh, back then, or is it just you know all your friends are playing, so you want to play too?
4: No, my, my dad and obviously my family was a big within the hockey world. We, we, all my cousins were playing it and like you said, friends, but yeah. no, I watched my dad play and then it was just from there, I just grew the passion of the game.
2: Excellent. Nice to have a, a coach like that in the family.
4: Yeah. Yeah. My, my dad and my uncle coached me most of the way up through my, my young minor hockey career. So that I, I put a lot of credit to them.
2: Now tell me about uh, being drafted in the Q uh, draft a couple of years ago. Now, but you're a first round pick, eighth overall. As a matter of fact, there's some pressure that goes along with being taken that high, isn't there?
4: Um, not too much. I I don't really take the pressure much. I I find it it sometimes makes players get away from their game and they they struggle a bit more. So I don't I don't find I take the pressure. I want to just it, you understand things are going to happen, and like you want to accomplish those big things. So I just take it that small step to make sure I don't I don't let it affect my game. So I, I enjoyed the moment, but then as soon as I came back to like the training camp here, I, I was no different than any other player.
2: Now the uh, the, the transition going from Newfoundland to, to into playing in Quebec is there a, was there a language barrier at first? Did you have to get over?
4: Um. It wasn't too bad because I moved away at 14 since my late birthday. I went to Bishop's College School in Lenoxville, Quebec first. Okay. So that's uh, that's an English school there. So uh, it was like a little transition because there wasn't too much French there, but there obviously was because I was still in Quebec. But sure. uh, then when I came to Drummondville, it was a bigger transition. But then my, my billets are English. They used to live in the States. And uh, and then obviously we had half of the team was English. And I have one assistant coach that was only English speaking. So I wasn't really forced into the French too much.
2: All right, I see. Well, and I guess now, I mean, I can hear the accent a little bit, so you speak uh, all, all three official Canadian languages, English, French, and Newfie.
4: No, no, I wouldn't I wouldn't give the French. I, I can't speak no French. I can't add that in. The new, new, Newfie and uh, English, yeah, you can. You can say those two, but not. Nah, I, I can't speak the French.
2: Uh, Dawson, now, uh, the sheet I'm looking at says six foot of 172 pounds, but that could be out of date. What are you at right now? Yeah, six foot, uh, one eighty one. One eighty one. All right. So, do you feel yeah. a difference uh, with that added? Uh, the the add, and I'm guessing it's muscle as an athlete. I'm sure you're you're not yeah. eating cheeseburgers all the time, but um, do you, do you, does it give you a, a bit of a different feeling on the ice? You can do things that maybe last year you couldn't.
4: Um, I, I guess it helps in in uh, certain areas of the game, maybe a bit harder for other players to push off the puck and little details like that. But I feel. I, I don't really recognize it too much of me. It's just more of I feel other players might recognize it more.
2: Okay, I understand that. Is the draft something that you you spend much time thinking about? Uh, I I talk to a lot of players on this show, and you're either going to be one of two: you, either you don't want to think about it at all because it's a distraction, or yeah, you want to think about it and and uh, you see where you're ranked and because it's a motivator for you. Which which uh, which camp are you in? Um, uh,
4: I would say yeah, I like the I like. To obviously, I feel every player should think about it a bit. It's a bit experience for you, but I don't think to the point where they want to let it get to their heads, or if they or if they take too much thought into what other people are saying. So I don't let what I hear affect me because I, I know my my skill set. I know my my game, so I, I don't want to let. Their opinions, their, their thoughts affect my game only in a positive way and never in a negative.
2: How would you describe yourself as a player, Dawson? And I know you, you said you like to kind of balance out the the shooting and the playmaking, but overall give us a picture of the way you play the game.
4: Yeah, I would. I want to be a 200-foot player, I feel I am, where I contribute offensively to the team, but also I want to be the, the guy out there on the ice in the last two minutes of the game when you, you can't get a goal scored on or taking D D-zone draw. So I want to be uh, – those players that can play in all three zones of the of the game and just contribute to the team every night.
2: This is year three in the CHL for you. so I mean, you could have a couple of year, more years of eligibility if uh, if it worked out that way. But before your eligibility is done and, and you move on to pro hockey, what aspects of your game do you think you need to work on the most?
4: Um. Yeah. Well, I feel that the game is so fast these these days, like compared to the past, and the game is all speed, quickness, and everything. So I feel every player should be working on their. So obviously the first three set, uh, steps from their skating and then obviously just continuing on with the speed of the game because everything's at a high pace. So I just feel every but every aspect has to be worked on, but I feel speed is the big thing for every player.
2: And would you call speed an asset for you? Um, yeah, I feel at the junior level
4: I'm fast. I feel like I I can really push the pace, but then obviously to get to the next level, I feel that's a a big jump that every player needs to take within their game.
2: Okay, because you're not—I mean, you're not six four and two hundred and fifteen pounds, but you're not—you know—five nine <laughs> either. You're an average-sized player, um, but mm-hmm. getting stronger—that'll come naturally over time. I mean, you're eighteen yeah. right now, but by the time you're twenty-three, I mean, you'll be a lot stronger than you are. So, um, but other areas of your game that you—that you're working on, uh, the, what, what's been a challenge for you? Maybe areas of the game that uh, maybe have given you a, a bit more challenge.
4: Um, well. I don't really feel like I pinpoint any little details. It's, it's kind of a wide span of just getting better at everything. You know, I, right. I take the mindset to, the, to practice to get, if it's better, I want to get my shot more accurate, if I want to make my pass more crisper, if I want to be a, a tougher battler in the battle drills during practice. It's just those little things that I feel build up to, to make me more consistent, more complete player. So, But there's no real out, outstanding aspect that I, I find I have to work on right now.
2: Lastly, Dawson, uh, uh, growing up on The Rock, I mean, you're far away from an NHL market, uh, so who was your team growing up? Um, my hometown team that I, I watched or the team I played for? No, the the team that you cheered for, like NHL team.
4: okay. Um, I wasn't too big of a, a one-pick team, but I would say yeah, I mostly picked who was playing the two teams, and I would pick one of them, but being from Newfoundland, it's mostly you're either a Canadiens fan, a, a Leafs fan, or a Bruins fan, so right. I, I did have... Uh, uh, Patrice Bergeron's jersey as a kid growing up, so I would say uh, I I looked at the Bruins most of the time.
2: Excellent. Listen, Dawson, I really appreciate the time and I enjoyed the conversation. Uh, best luck the rest of the way this year.
4: Perfect. Thank you. I appreciate your time.
2: That is uh, Dawson Mercer of the Drummondville Voltageur. And uh, when I thanked uh, Annie, who's uh, the media contact for the uh, Voltigeur, I sent her a message to thank her and uh, told her that I really enjoyed the conversation with Dawson and. She said he's, he's an awesome guy on and off the ice. And I think that came across in that interview. I think he'll do really well, you know, at the uh, NHL Combine, things like that. And, boy, having a great season so far for the uh, Voltajour. Up next on the Pipeline Show, a real treat uh, as I had a chance to speak at length with the, the head coach of Air Force at the Air Force Academy. His name is Frank Ceratori. And uh, go on YouTube, Google Frank Ceratori, and to watch some of his post game addresses and, and pre game uh, media conferences, things like that, uh, they are legendary uh, and really a, a, just a fun conversation with Frank. We uh, covered a lot of ground uh, about uh, his team this year and about the program in general, and also asked him about the whole uh, coaching situation uh, at various levels and the reports of you know player abuse and things like that. I wanted to get the coach's perspective on that, and uh, he shared some thoughts. On that topic as well. All of that up next in the NCAA Campus Report here on the Pipeline Show.
0: This is Greg Carvel with UMass, you, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Passion, talent. Development. NCAA hockey offers all that, and its players graduate at a ninety percent rate. Jonathan Taves. Wow, what a goal! Colton Pareko. Goal! And Patrick Sharp were stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at college
5: hockey. Champions of the college hockey world.
0: You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming,
2: and here he is
5: having the time of his life.
2: We are back on the Pipeline Show, and it's time for our NCAA Campus Report, which, as always, is brought to you by College Hockey Inc. If you are a player, or you have a player in your family, and they are looking to explore all of their options to get to the next level, and the the college option is of interest to them, there's some things you need to know, and College Hockey Inc. is a great place. To have some of those uh, questions answered, you can get in touch with Mike Snee or Nate Ewell, and uh, they can help you along as well. Uh, the Caps Report, uh, well, hey, I'm getting the, uh, a ratings bump for this show uh, as my guest today. The head coach from Air Force uh, joins me once again is uh, Frank Ceratori. Uh, coach, great to have you on the Pipeline Show once again. Thanks for taking the time. How are you?
5: Great, Gee, How's things on the Great White North?
2: Uh, terrific. Uh, winter has uh, definitely arrived in my neck of the woods, though, out in Alberta, but Uh, For the most part, it's been uh, okay so far. What about in uh, Colorado?
5: It's uh, you know what? It's a snowstorm in Colorado. I'm glad I'm not there. (laughs) We were in Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh playing last week against Robert Morris, and uh, and then we drove up. We stayed out because it was Thanksgiving week. This week we stayed out for the two weeks. We had two road trips, and we're in Niagara Falls, uh, New York uh, right now, and it's raining. I mean, uh, it's nice out, uh, but it's raining. You know, but that beats having. You know, what's usually here uh, is 14-foot snowbanks, so uh, I'll take a little rain any day, G.
2: Well, I appreciate you making the time uh, on a road trip like this. Uh, let's talk a bit about the season so far and, and kind of a, a tale of two uh, two stories here. As uh, You got off to a slow start, and yet you've rattled off, uh, well, four wins in your last five games and a tie against Robert Morris, and that's the team that's uh, currently leading your conference right now. So what happened early on and, and what changed uh, to uh, turn things around?
5: Well, first of all, like the, the we graduated the two classes that took us to those two NCAA final eights, uh when we had, uh, knocked off uh, Western Michigan in in uh, 17 and uh, number 1 St. Cloud in 18 and and won our conference we graduated the nucleus of that group. So we had a young team coming back this year and uh the general manager uh, my our general manager should uh should be fired uh, for for scheduling Notre Dame which is a, an NCAA uh, you know, they're a contender for the national title. Mm-hmm. And Arizona State also was a, uh, is, was an NCAA tournament team as an independent last year, and, and they're a candidate again to go. So, once, one of the things we start out slow, we got a young team, and we're playing pretty darn good teams. Notre Dame is really, really good. And, uh, Arizona State is pretty darn good as well. And, uh, and then we got into league play. We lost those first four games. Then we get into league play, and we played, um, RIT. We outshoot RIT over two games at home, 81 to 20, 81 to 20 over two games. We score one goal, Gee. Yeah. And I, I felt so bad for our kids, but we've got a young team, but oh, they got a good attitude. Been the be- probably the best practice team that I've had in a long, long time. These kids really want to get good. And I said all along, I just, how much I like this group, how much I believe in this group. And, um, then we went out to Sacred Heart and Sacred Heart's got, you know, four or five really, really good forwards. And, uh, and they took us to the woodshed on, on Friday night, which was really our only stinker, and they beat us good. Yeah. And, uh, we came back for a one o'clock matinee game. We're 0 and 7 at this point. We, we come back for a matinee game at one o'clock, and, uh, we play our other goalie, and, uh, yeah, Alex Schilling, and, and we, and he, we find a way to win. We win a huge game after getting beat 7 to 1. We come back and, and win on the road, and then, uh, came, uh, uh, came back, uh, home off that, played Bentley and found a way to win two tight games and then, uh, traveled to Robert Morris and, uh, we beat them in tight and actually won the second game in three on three. So t- we took five of the six points. So, you know what, Gee, I never thought I'd be, I never thought I'd be happy with being four, seven and one. Um mm-hmm. but when you start out 0 and seven, four, seven and one looks pretty good. It feels pretty good. And, uh, well, we got, we got the ship righted. Like I said, we've got a young team. We got a lot, uh, long way to go, but but we're going in the right direction.
2: I, I saw you. I heard you lay the blame on the schedule maker at the start there. Uh, who, 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 who would that be?
5: <laughs> you know who that is. You know who. It, yeah, the coach is doing. You know what? The coach is doing a pretty good job. Uh, the GM kind of uh, put the team in the hole there a little bit, but you know we make these schedules. Gee, you have to schedule teams. You know, two and three years in advance, and you don't know where they're going to be for sure, and you don't really know where you're going to be. Um, there's just you know, kids sign and go, and there's attrition and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And uh, but uh, for us, you know, in playing in Atlantic hockey, like we want to play, I want to have a challenging schedule, but not an overwhelming schedule. And uh, we've done quite well in Atlantic hockey over the last 13 years. We won nine championships and went to the NCAA tournament um, seven times. We've knocked off 14 teams that were ranked in the top 15. Nine of those were ranked in the top five. So as a as a program we've done darn good and what I try to do in our non-conference we're only getting six non-conference games and and uh you know I I, like I want us you know I want to I want our schedule for our our, for our players and our fans you know to get we need to make it a little sexy and uh you look for a team we we played Boston College in the past we played Ohio State um we played Denver or CC every year and uh uh, we've got uh with Notre Dame, Arizona State, uh, we just did a deal uh, for down the road with Michigan State. We, we're working on another with Ohio State. You know, so our our players want to play against those types of teams, those uh, those Power Five, if you are using, using a national term, BCS, if you using a football term. You know, those those Power Five BCS type programs, and um, and your fans want to see some of those games too. So the bad news is we played uh, Notre Dame and Arizona State and. And we start out 0-4, but I'll tell you what, we, we found out what the best in college hockey looks like. We know what the speed limit is. And, uh, you know, if we get back to that NCAA tournament, uh, this year, you know, uh, it's not going to be the first time that we've seen, uh, teams of that caliber. So, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of advantages to, to scheduling up. And, uh, and hey, the other thing is, like I told you, we've beaten, we've beaten 14 teams ranked in the top 15 over the last, uh, 12 years. And uh, like you can't beat them, gee, you can't beat them if you don't play them. Yeah. So, so you know, like I said, I like playing those games, and uh, more importantly, uh, the players like playing them, and our fans, who uh, you know, we're we sell on our games, and uh, we have a lot of we have eighteen hundred season ticket holders, and um, uh, you owe it to them to to, to put the most uh, uh, entertaining type schedules together that you that you possibly can.
2: Frank Saratori is the head coach at Air Force my guest here on the pipeline show in our NCAA campus reports segment and I, I I seem to recall a, a commercial that you uh, made at the start of the year I, it wasn't you personally but you were in it uh, with another coach from Air Force and it was about introducing the mascot or something like that but I know one of the lines that you had uh, as you were in the coach the other coach were talking about was how young your team is and he said to you eventually you'll find the way you always do and that wasn't just lip service. I mean, that's it, maybe it's in the script of the commercial, but you do have that young team that you were talking about. So, on some level, were you almost expecting a bit of a slow start?
5: Yeah, I mean, well, you know, you just never know. But you know, with what we had come back, hey, gee, I'll tell you what. Like one thing I do every year, and I got this from my brother Tom at Bemidji uh, many, many years ago, is is uh, is I t- is I is I count the goals. That, you know, we do this preseason po- po- uh, polls. The coaches do a preseason poll. Yeah. Uh, how I base my preseason poll is on the number of goals that each team has coming back. And we have, we were the lowest goal scoring team in the league last year. And we had a winning record because we had a fantastic goalie, Billy Christopoulos, who's playing in the East Coast League right now. And uh, he was the first team all league goalie. But we were last in goal scored and we finished third in the league out of 11 teams, which is amazing because the next lowest team finished last. The next lowest team to that finished second to last. The next lowest team finished third to last. The next lowest team finished fourth to the last. So we were the lowest scoring team in the league, and with that coming back, uh, we only we only we 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 lost fifty one percent of our goals to graduation. So we were the out of eleven teams, we were tenth in the league in goals returning, mm-hmm. and uh, and and we graduated our strength of our team, which was our all league goalie. So. You know, that kept me awake a lot of nights uh, last summer, let me just tell you. But so it, it was expected that, you know, we're, we're going to have to, you know, uh, reinvent ourselves. We're going to have to turn the page. The kids we graduated over the last uh, two years were a big part of, of a great chapter in our history. But we ha- but the page has been turned, and these kids right now are in charge of, of starting a new chapter. And um, they haven't let anybody down. They're excited about, you know, being in charge. uh and uh, you know, being in leadership roles, uh, they pretty much played between behind those other two classes that we graduated that were hugely successful. And um, you know, uh, they haven't let us down. They, there's a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of energy. Like I said, these kids come every day. They practice hard. You know what? As a coach, sometimes you have teams that, particularly, don't have the greatest uh, as a group. Uh, aren't the aren't the hardest workers? Don't have maybe the greatest attitude. We don't have a lot of those problems at the academy, but you have those. And then you get, you, you get into your schedule and you get fed by somebody and you go, you know what? That's what we deserve that. You know, we deserve that. We got to get better. We got to practice better. We got to be better with this group. They've done, they, they crossed, uh the Ts and dotted the eyes. They, they try hard every day. And when, when things weren't going early, good early, when we were all and seven, I legitimately felt so bad for them because they, they really have put everything that they could. They put their best foot forward every day, so it's really been gratifying to see the worm turn and uh, and see this group go un- unbeaten in our last five. Because you know they, in my in my my, they they deserved to have something good happen, and it has happened. But uh, no, we expected it to be a little slow to start out with, um, but uh, you know it's 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 been a lot of fun from day one, even. When we were 0-7, I was telling people, you know what, I like this group. I like what they're all about. Don't count them out. And uh, it's still going to be a struggle. It's still going to be a tough journey. Um, but uh, but as of right now, you know, um, we're, we've got the ship righted. We're finding a way to win some games. The boys believe in, in themselves. They believe in each other. They believe in the coaching staff. And, uh, and uh, we're having a lot of fun right now.
2: Coach, the last time or the first time we had you on the Pipeline Show, it's got to be over a decade ago by now but I remember talking to you about just the uniqueness uh, when it comes to recruiting you know you kind of compared to other programs well you can't you're not bringing in Canadians you're not bringing in Swedes or or Finns or anything like that so you're limited in that aspect and then there was at that time you know players graduate uh, from your program and they go on and they join the Air Force and so you're looking you're you're getting a a very specific type of player that's coming your way. Some of that has changed here in the last few years, hasn't it? I mean, Shane Starrett played for you, and, and now he's, he, he left and uh, immediately was able to start playing professional hockey. Can you kind of just uh, talk about the change and, and how that's maybe changed the way you are able to recruit?
5: Yeah, it, it, it's changed a few things. I mean, um, like we have a pro option right now, and if a kid has a legitimate chance, but these things sometimes come and go depending upon the climate in the world. If Are we at war? Are we not at war? Are they downsizing the Air Force? Are they not? Um, so uh, as of right now, <clears throat> there is a, there is a pro option. Now when, when, when Starrett left, uh, he just chose to leave after his sophomore year. Our kids come here, gee, and, uh, when, when they come, uh, they can go to school for two years to figure out if, if this is what they want to do. They can walk away anytime after their, their their, before their, before they start their junior year, okay. their commitment, their five, their five-year commitment to the, to the air force and the military starts when they go to when they attend class, the first class their junior year okay. and um uh and Shane left after his sophomore year and uh you know and we some we, we encouraged it because uh you know it was a great opportunity I mean here's a six foot five goaltender with, with and a very athletic goal this kid could slam dunk a basketball he could have been a, a wide receiver on the football team he could have been a, you know, a power forward on the basketball team that's what kind of athlete this kid was and um you know we just felt it was in his best interest because he's got a legit chance with his size and athleticism so we encourage that now you know we don't get hey in college hockey overall everybody all the kids aspire to play pro hockey how many of them does it really come to fruition not a whole lot it's 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 tough to make it in 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 pro hockey especially you know when you're talking about the, the major leagues i mean when you get to the national league it's uh you know it's a very select group and it's and it's not an an easy league to get to and and even a harder league to to survive and stay in uh but uh but right now we have a pro option and it's with all the it's for all the service academies navy army ourselves yeah if uh if we have a player that can can play get signed and play at a, a specific level and i would say probably it's going to be you know um Somebody do You have to sign an NHL contract, I would think, and and then be placed in the American League, maybe a goalie or something in the East Coast League. I, you know, if you've got a legit prospect, um, you there's you know you can they can they can uh, they can qualify for this option. Another option we have is called the World Class Athlete Program that they utilize for Olympic sports, and and Billy Christopoulos, our goalie from last year, is uh, is is a, is in the World Class Athlete Program. And he's playing in the East Coast League, and with the with the NA with the uh, uh, Olympics, not guaranteed to be NHL players right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know he's a you know he's a candidate you know for uh a nat- for national teams and Olympic teams. So he's playing in the East Coast League in the world class athlete program, and and uh, we have you know track athletes and and oh uh, you know all the whatever sports that are that are in the Olympics, uh, uh, our athletes can you know if they're if they're if they're uh, if, if they've uh, performed at a, at a high level, can qualify for that program as well. But you know, for the most part, we're not out recruiting players. Going, hey, you can be a pro, you can be in the NHL. Yeah, you know that's a part of the spiel now. If you get good enough, but we still are looking for the right kind of kids. I mean, we got to get academy type kids, and uh, these are, what, what's an academy type kid? First of all, they got to be a really good student. They got to be a really good citizen. Um, they they got to be a really good hockey player. Um, you know, they got to be willing to take on a five year commitment. Uh, they've got to be an American citizen or for you people listening from the great white north, uh, a dual citizen because we've had several, uh, dual citizens that have, have played here. Also, West Point's had a, had a couple as well. Hmm. And, um, so, you know, those are the qualifications and, and, and we're looking for people, young men that are going to come in and be able to assimilate the, our culture, the culture of the academy and, uh, and eventually, you know grow and assimilate through the process into into being great air force officers and uh so we're looking for a certain kid and and uh this the pool is very small compared to uh, when you know when you think of all the you know the stipulations that I just listed the it, the pool is very small but those kids are out there and uh, and our job is to find those kind of kids and those kind of families that are looking at what we have and uh hey i mean you want to come and play really good division 1 hockey we've we've got that you want to get an ivy league type education we've got that you want to be on a on a full scholarship not just a full scholarship but they pay you to go here we've got that are you looking for a guaranteed career afterwards that you can utilize for you know to you can stay in the in the air force for 20 years and graduate or and retire in your 40s you know or you can leave and go work for a fortune 500 company after five years and and uh, make a seamless transition into the civilian sector i mean like if that's appealing you, yeah, then then our place is a place that 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 you need to look into um but like i said it, uh, it, just because we have this pro option now it's not like we're out and we're going to recruit a completely different animal we're not we're, we're looking for academy type kids and and now if they come in and and all of a sudden you know they uh, they're like david robinson at, 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 at Navy, and they grow six inches and and all of a sudden you know, uh, uh, show that they have legit major league potential, you know, there's opportunities in, uh, in in professional sports for those type of athletes.
2: When you had Eric Ean and, and Jock Lamoureux and Andrew Volkening, I mean, those guys were stars for you. Did they have that option and, and just chose to, to stick through and, and uh, follow, you know, and graduate at, uh, at the academy?
5: It was not as clear then, G. It wasn't. Uh, you know, what we did back in those days is we try to get those kids stationed um near a, a minor league team ah. and um all, and uh, all those kids played some games in the east coast league or the american league um uh because we got we got them stationed and then they played when they could and uh um you know but you know but that that's a lot more difficult than you know hey they're working a day job for the air force and then they're going to practice and then they're 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 playing games on the weekend um, it, it was kind of a of a more of a part-time pro deal. Uh, Greg Flynn did the same thing with the with the Devils, um the Albany Devils and uh, uh but this is legit like right now um you know if a guy graduates with the, and gets this pro option, they are their, their job as a their job for the Air Force is going and and playing in the American League or playing in the East Coast League. The same thing with Billy Christopoulos and the world class athlete program. He's playing in the East Coast League right now with South Carolina. That's his job. He he's he's out there. His job is is to play hockey for South Carolina.
2: Frank Serratore is the head coach at Air Force. Um, my guest here on the Pipeline Show. You mentioned your brother Tom, uh, who's coaching at Bemidji State, and I I always just wondered, uh, you know, if you guys keep track of the head to head, how often do you actually the two programs meet. I'm a little surprised you guys don't schedule uh, to meet with each other every year. But who holds bragging rights uh, if and when you have met?
5: Well. Oh, let me tell you, Gabe, um right now in the overall record, uh, my little brother uh, has took his big brother to the woodshed overall. And uh, 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 he has done a fantastic job. Like I always, people always ask me from my hometown, are you the greatest coach ever to come from your hometown, Colerain, Minnesota? I go, I'm not even the greatest coach to come out of my own family. You know, uh, uh, Tom uh, has done a fantastic job. He's a terrific hockey guy. And, uh, you know, they have, they, they have the overall, uh, advantage. Uh, when Lawrence Wise, he's got the overall advantage. But you know something, Geek? Um, you know who won the last game that we played between mm-hmm. us? You know who won the last game? Tell me. Big Brother won the last game. And, and unless we play in the NCAA tournament, that is going to be the last game we ever <laughs> played because I'm taking that one. I'm taking, Big Brother's taking that one to the, to the grave. You know what? You might have won all those other ones, but Big Brother won the, Big brother put a little thumping on you in the last one. And that's, Hey, you got to go with what you got. Um, and, uh, you know, that's what I got. And that's what I'm staying with. And, uh,
0: and so he's
5: like, you know, he wants to play right away after we won that, uh, game last year on Saturday at air force. Hey, we need to schedule again. We ain't ever playing again, brother. <laughs> we ain't ever playing unless we play in the NCAA tournament. I'm taking this one. You know what? I'm feeling pretty good about the family. I bought the little, uh, family uh, series right now. And, uh, I think I'll just take this last one to the grave.
2: That's outstanding, uh, Coach. Before I let you go, and I, I mentioned this to you before uh, we started uh, the actual interview, but uh, since we booked this interview and set it up, there's kind of been the, the uh, ugly stories that have come out the last couple of days about uh, some players who are have uh, come forth with um, you know uh, abusive stories of, of coaches along the way at points of their career. You're a passionate coach. You're a competitive guy. How do you? You know, fire up your team. I don't know if you're you're you losing seven one to a couple of weeks ago to to uh, Sacred Heart. Uh, I don't know if you go into the dressing room and, and have a message. How do you not cross the line though? Because you got to bring out the best of your players. And I've never been in that situation. I don't know how you don't cross the line sometimes. Um, maybe can you give me your perspective on uh, what's been happening here the last couple of days?
5: Well, I can't tell you anything about anybody else. All I can talk to you about is my is me and I've been doing this for over 40 years, my first job in junior hockey in the United States Hockey League was in 1982, so I, like, I've been doing this a long time, and when I started coaching junior hockey in 1982, like, I was only about five years older than the players that I was coaching, and, uh, and I was so paranoid about not getting too close to the players, because they were so close in age, and I just, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I just felt there needed to be a line, a, a clear line between the players and the coach. And, and also at that time, you know, you know, when you think back over time and and, and like abusive, what, you know, like, I don't know what abusive is. I mean, like, like you need to, you need, you need to be uh, like, I don't know if I've ever been, you know, abusive. Have I ever, you know, been a little ha- harder? You darn right. I was a little harder back in the day. And, and, you know, keep in mind, like you're coming off a generation where you know the the Vince Lombardis and the Herb Brooks and and these type of guys that that you know that uh, um, uh, these type of guys that that were you know they weren't very close to their their players and uh, and 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 they were they were hard on them and uh, and and they would get in people's grills and they would call them out in front of their teammates and those types of things and uh, you know you know. It, but but times have changed and like gee i'm a big believer like like uh you know i've had to reinvent myself three or four different times Mm. and i think that you know if you don't evolve with the times because the the times change the kids change these kids now gee are so much uh, more worldly now than they were uh 40 years ago and they want to know how and they want to know why and um and like for the most part, I think we, like we get a real motivated kid at the academy. They don't, they want to do well. And when you don't do well, I mean, what good is beating them up going to do? You know, you, I like, you, you, you know, you just need to find a different way. And, uh, you know, I was talking, Jock Lammer, you mentioned Jock's name. He's on my coaching staff right now. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he just mentioned the other day after being with me for, a, a, back with me for a month and a half. He goes, my God, have you changed? He goes like, you are, you know, he goes, you are so much softer and indifferent you know and i just said you know like if you're going to be in this profession like you have to be stay with the times and you have to evolve and, and 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 you know what worked motivationally 40 years ago 30 years ago not it doesn't necessarily translate to now and and like i said you better have a pulse on things you better have a pulse on the kid of today the world of today and you, you better evolve and you better reinvent yourself and you better evolve because if you don't if you refuse to, to evolve if you if it, if it refuse to reinvent yourself you know you will go by the, the way of the dinosaur I, I really believe that so um, I don't know if I if I answered your question but uh, um, but everybody every you know coaches have to be themselves and um, you know but uh, there are lines that you just simply can't cross and you better not cross. And if you do cross them, um, you're going to get yourself into a pickle and deservedly so. Well,
2: thank you very much for uh, sharing your thoughts on that. And I really appreciate you making the time, Coach. Uh, As always, I'm getting a huge rating boost whenever you're on the show, so I appreciate that. Uh, And uh, you've got Niagara this weekend, Holy Cross before the Christmas break, and uh, certainly wish you the best of luck the rest of the way this season. Uh, Coach, uh, thank you again for your time.
5: My pleasure, D. Thanks for having me on. Always a blast working with you as well.
2: The one and only Frank Saratori, head coach at the Air Force Academy, my guest there uh, of this segment uh, for College Hockey, Inc. And uh, I thought it was important to uh, get a coach's perspective uh, on the uh, this hot topic here this week that has really taken over the hockey landscape at all levels. You can go back to the uh, opening segment of today's show where I shared some thoughts and uh, weighed in a bit more on that topic. But Air Force in action this weekend. They've got uh, Niagara, And uh, the Christmas break, not that far away for all NCAA teams, but it looks like Air Force has got this weekend and next weekend, and then they're off until the new year. Okay, up next here on the Pipeline Show, it'll be our In the Dub segment. Uh, Sean Mullen, longtime uh, CHL broadcaster, WHL broadcaster, now uh, half of WHL unfiltered at dubnetwork.ca. He's going to be my guest. We'll talk about some of the uh, hot stories around the Western Hockey League, some of the teams and players that are making news across the WHL. That's next here on the Pipeline Show.
0: Dallas fed him the puck. Now Dallas spins and fires. Carter doesn't have it, does he? No, he kept it out. What a stop by Carter Hart right on the goal line. Whoop! Skipped off his glove and it stayed out by millimeters.
1: Hey, it's Carter Hart of the Everett Silver Tips, and you're listening to the Pipeline
0: Show. your weekend with W.H.L. Hockey action.
3: This Saturday night, it's the Battle of Alberta as your Edmonton Oil Kings go head-to-head against the Calgary Hitmen at Rogers Place.
0: Then, Sunday afternoon at 4, it's Oil Kings versus the Regina Pats.
3: The holidays are on the way. Make your festive colors red and blue.
0: Don't miss the Oil Kings, live!
3: Great Family Entertainment at Rogers Place starts at just $20 a seat. Save on day of game pricing now at oilkings.ca.
0: You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming.
5: You
2: don't scare me. I got chunks of guys like you in my stool. And we're back on The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Let's get to our In the Dub segment, as always brought to you by dubnetwork.ca. Step today on everything happening around the world of the Western Hockey League by visiting dubnetwork.ca. Make it a regular stop. Uh, put it, uh, save it to your toolbar, whatever the kids call that these days. Uh, I'm old, but my next guest is not as old as I am. Uh, Sean Mullen, a longtime veteran. Broadcaster in the CHL, you did some stuff in the OHL before you came out here, didn't you?
6: Um, sort of. I was on a color commentator, a color commentator for one Rogers telecast uh, between Owen, between uh, Barry and Ottawa. Otherwise, I did a little bit of sports stuff for the Owen Sound radio station that right. included. OHL stuff, but okay. not any play-by-play right I now.
2: I seem to recall when I first actually started uh, getting to know you a little bit, we were in the same fantasy league for a while, uh, but the, mm-hmm. I thought you were with the, or working around the Owen Sound Attack, or at least part of their broadcast or
6: something. No, I wasn't. I actually was uh, on television, part of the Junior B broadcasts out there and the Junior B lacrosse, but I okay. did some stuff uh, on the radio where we talked about the team, so, okay. and I never actually got involved in the attack broadcast. And
2: Fair then, enough. You know, I was, uh,
6: I was the voice of the piece for about two weeks. So. <laughs> that's
2: right. <laughs> and and in between. Back for and, family yeah. And in between, you're, uh, the longtime broadcaster of the Swift Current Broncos. And that's where you are again back in Swift Current and, uh, co-hosting WHL Unfiltered, uh, which you can find at Dub Network. So great tie-in, great segue. Uh, all right. Let's talk some mm-hmm. WHL. And, uh, I, for me, one of the, the best, brightest stories uh, of this season are the Left Hurricanes. And, you know, I, at the start of the year, I said, "Well, they're they're going to be a playoff team, but I'm not expecting much from the Hurricanes. Maybe fourth place in the Central Division." And lo and behold, right now they're statistically uh, on top of the WHL uh, in points. And when I look at this roster, it's not necessarily you know just uh, uh, one or two guys leading the way, but uh, this is it seems to be a group effort. They might have one or two lines, uh, but it's not just the, you know the drafted guys who are uh, uh, doing all the scoring for them. What's what's impressed you about Lethbridge? Are you at all surprised? I have to say
6: that I am because in the preseason, I didn't expect this at all. I saw them kind of a, you know, a slightly above the mix of the teams that would be battling for a playoff spot. So I'm very much impressed with what they've been able to pull off. And really, at this point, should we be surprised of the Peter Anholt and uh, Brent Kissio combination? Because mm-hmm. even in years that are supposed to be down years, they find a way to put a very exciting product on the ice. They play an up temporal game. They seem to get the most out of their offensive players. And there are guys who obviously had a lot of skill that have come to Lethbridge and been able to take that skill game to the next level. Just think of Oliver Ocular, mm-hmm. a guy who had a good season in the Quebec League last year, but obviously an extreme talent and put in the systems that he's put in with Lethbridge, given the freedom he's been given playing with, the kind of players he's been able to play with. He's taking his game to another level and it seems like on a consistent basis, it's an organization that gets more out of guys. And that says a lot about what they've been able to accomplish. There's some good players, you know, DJ Jerome was a nice ad. It took him a while to find that kind of game, but he started to find it in Victoria. So not surprised he we continue Alex Cotton, you know, always looks solid, but to all of a sudden be an over a point a game defenseman that's a wow factor. I think we all thought Logan Barlaw, would be good coming out of um, his, you know, midget and bantam exploits. But he's well beyond what anyone thought he would be. Well, I wouldn't say well beyond. But compared to where he was last year, he's, he's, you know, started to be a guy who can drive the line. And it's, it's a deep team. They've got some very solid defensemen beyond Cotton and Addison offensively. Wilson and Prefontaine on the back end are hard-nosed guys. Who have a veteran experience and have been to some, you know, significant games, and I think the goaltending was a, a big question mark coming into the year. Yeah, and Teterchuk has really answered those questions. You know, nine twenty-seven save percentage, two goals against average. He's played outstanding hockey, better than almost any statistically anyway goaltender we've seen for the Lethbridge Hurricanes, considering the style of game they play and. Uh, maybe a, a majorly underrated factor in why they've had so much success.
2: Yeah, and I think that's, you know, you look, we go back to the preseason uh, prognostications uh, by, uh, you know, the smart guy pundits like uh, you and I, and hindsight it looks like we underrated or underestimated Lethbridge, but I don't think anybody could have predicted Oliver Ocular to have this start. And Alex Cotton coming out of virtually out of nowhere, I mean, a fifth-round pick, he was a rookie last year and and had very little production, 11 points. Suddenly, he's got 29 in 27 games and who knows, might be getting consideration now for the draft. I mean, he was eligible last year and and didn't get taken. I don't think anybody expected that he would. And and yeah, the goaltending situation, terrific job by uh, Carl Tedichuk. And Brian Thompson's been good for them when he's been in that too, so... Yeah, what a
6: story. You shouldn't say out of nowhere necessarily for Cotton, because when you look at his production in his last year of midget at the uh, Yale Hockey Academy Prep School, he had 54 points in 32 games. So I think maybe that was the year he made the leap. And when you look at his previous production, uh, the year before, he only had 14 points. The year before that, he had 8 points in 25 games. So the big leap offensively seems to have come uh, in that 16-year-old season for him and then... Yeah yeah, you know, he, he was all right for them last year, had a good playoff, and then uh, he made a leap. But uh, the offense, when you look at that uh, midget season, is maybe not entirely surprising, but certainly not a famous player.
2: All right, well, that's fair. Uh, Sean Mullen from uh, WHL Unfiltered, my guest here on the Pipeline Show. He's our uh, in-the-dub segment uh, insider. Um, when I look at other teams in the league, and I know we spoke about uh, this not that long ago with another guest, uh, a surprise maybe in the... uh The Western Conference is Spokane in terms of how I think a lot of people expected, and I'm one of them. That if they got Ty Smith back, they'd be the odds-on favorite at least out of the U.S. division. But so far, they've—I mean, they've been okay, but they haven't been overpowering. Does that surprise you? I don't know. I mean, the U.S. division every
6: year is a dogfight, yeah, an absolute dogfight, and for whatever reason, five very well-managed clubs is a part of it. But you're not going to run away with that division, I don't think, ever. First of all, um, secondly, you know, you have a new coach, uh, Manny Rose, who had instant success in Swift Current, but it wasn't, uh, you know, instant top of the division, running away with things. Success. You have to, you know, get to know your players. They have to get to know your coach. He's making system changes that takes some time to be perfect. I and mean, I think they're getting good production. So I don't think the, the scoring depth is a, a particular problem with Spokane. Uh, I wonder, you know, uh, from a goaltending perspective, uh, the majority of their starts have been from Campbell-Arnold, and his numbers are just okay. Um, Perrick, uh, I think that's how it's pronounced, has been solid. But he's only played 10 games so far. So that could be part of the problem in terms of, you know, a consistent level of success. I mean, Arnold is 5-7-1. Perrick is 7-2-1, so if he's able to get in the game more consistently, you know, are they in a better position in the division than they are right now?
2: Yeah, I think that's fair. Maybe we'll see that. I think he, he was banged up for a while, wasn't he, on the shelf?
6: I believe so. And so, you know, that adds up pretty quick when you're only not even halfway through the season, right? We're talking 23 games played. So if you've only had your starter for 10 of those 23 and you're 12-9-2-0 like Spokane is... Their, their goal differential is still a very healthy a plus 22. I'm not worried about Spokane yet. I think they're, they're still going to be a, a force to be reckoned with. I think the, the one thing that I'd say is that Everett being 17-5-1 at this point of the year uh, is the big surprise of the division. And, you know, if Spokane's got a healthy number one goalie, uh, they're in that mix. But I don't think anyone expected Everett to be quite as good as they are.
2: Well, I knew that the uh, the big question was where the offense was going to come from. Uh, you know, Bryce Kindop is having a terrific year, so is Wyatt Wiley. Uh, but the addition of Cole Fonstadt has been fantastic, I think, for both the, the Silvertips and probably for Fonstadt as well. Because um, it seemed like in PA the last couple of years, he'd kind of gone through his, his spurts of uh, production and, and struggled at times uh, on what was a pretty deep roster. I think this has been a good move for both he and for the Silvertips.
6: Um, two years ago, Fonstad was kind of the straw that stirred the drink offensively for Prince Albert than last year. I don't want to say he was lost in the shuffle because he still had a good year, but he was nowhere near as vital to the team's scoring attack, yeah. and that kind of continued. And I think as a player who maybe got used to having the puck on his stick a lot, it'll be a good situation to be in Everett where they rely on him to produce a little more. The other thing we're seeing, though, is Everett's becoming one of those teams, or always has been. But, uh, kind of like Lethbridge, where they're making the most out of guys they have that plucking the right type of players into their system. I mean, outstanding goal setting every year, but
2: they find a way to compete on a regular basis. It's
6: not a, you know, roller coaster ride with those franchises right now.
2: The Memorial Cup hosting Kelowna Rockets uh, made a trade earlier this week and, um, or maybe it was uh, on the weekend, um, but they picked up uh, Jaden Joseph. From the Moose Jaw Warriors and uh, paid a price for it. They gave up Kobe Moore. They those two players, both overage guys, basically the same amount of production this year. And uh, the uh, Rockets also included a third round pick and a couple other players, at least the rights to them. Uh, what would you make of that trade? First off, but to me, uh, and I said it to you before we started, Jaden Joseph doesn't exactly wow me as a t- uh, as a guy that puts a, a contender over the top. Well. Joseph has been in this situation.
6: Uh, he played some important minutes for the Lethbridge Hurricanes when they were on their run. Uh, he played some important minutes for the Vancouver Giants last year when they went on their run to the final. I think maybe one of the things that would excite Kelowna about a guy like Joseph is his experience in those big games. He wins face-offs. He's at 58.3% on the dot this year, uh, to give you an example. And that's a really key thing, especially when I kind of look at Kelowna's roster, it doesn't look like they have a ton of guys who uh, who do that. Uh, he wins face-offs in big moments. He can produce. He can penalty kill. Uh, is he the typical Memorial Cup team 20-year-old? No, because typically you have 70-80 point guys if they're forwards on a Memorial Cup team. But I think they'll give you you know that 0. .6, 0. .7 points per game production and do those key little things while providing some experience and leadership that that team doesn't have a ton of, you know, there's not a lot of guys who've been uh, to the dance uh, that are on the Kona Rockets at the moment. So I think they probably like that about him as well. I don't think they're done, but yeah. I certainly think he offers more uh, in that capacity than Kobe Moore would.
2: You've been uh, around, the, well, obviously, the Swift Current Broncos uh, getting to the Memorial Cup, and uh, they were all in that year. Uh, you saw other teams doing it uh, that year as well, uh, trying to load up, and it uh, it paid off for Swift. Not so much for the other teams, and uh, we've seen other teams in other years who have uh, loaded up. Um, there's a risk to doing it, but it's all about winning. And uh, if it takes you three or four years after winning to get back to uh, being competitive again, I guess that's the price you have to pay. But, um, you know, do you think uh, when teams look at what Swift is like right now, what Regina is like right now, do they give pause and, and uh, consider maybe not going? as all-in as uh, those teams did those years?
6: I think you can't help but do that. You know, think of Saskatoon, first of all. Yep. They're the most long-term example of it. How long and painful that process was for the Blades to get back to only making the playoffs last season, considering how long ago they hosted the Memorial Cup. And then all that rebuilding process and Kirby Doc makes the NHL this year. So, their contending window was pretty small. Yeah. Uh, Swift print and Regina have both absolutely suffered the pain of the moves they made that Memorial cup season. So far this year and last year, they they were right at the bottom of the league. The amount of skill on their roster was, uh, and is really limited. And the coaching staffs and the general managers for those teams are trying to dig, you know, um, whatever they can uh, out of sort of uh, a pile of misfit toys, so to speak, right? You know, you, you want to find a guy that slipped through the cracks. You want to find a player that for whatever reason, it didn't work in a spot he was in and he's ready to take an opportunity and, and turn that into something special. But ultimately this is a long-term process that starts with last year's draft and they didn't even have their first round picks. They had to get first round picks from elsewhere. So Is it worth it? I mean, I think you look at the banner and the uh, credit union IPLEX, and a lot of fans would say they would do it all over again because of that experience and what it did for the franchise and invigorated the fan base, but you absolutely are going to suffer for a long time in the process, and as much as people want to point fingers at Dean Brockman or Dave Struge or John Tannock or whomever else, uh, you know, Bob Woods back when he was in Saskatoon and Colin Priestner and... Uh, you know, as much as you want to point fingers at them and say they didn't do the job well enough, I mean, we consistently see when teams go that all in and you don't have your own picks when you're bad, it's really tough to recoup and get better quickly. So you have to really think hard when you're in that position. How much is this worth it? Even Red Deer, you know, they're 7-14-0-3 this year. They haven't been a really competitive team since they hosted the Memorial Cup And at the time, everyone kind of gave them credit for not going quite as over the top as other teams did, but it's still been very difficult for them to get back their footing as a team that's consistently competitive. So Kelowna's got a real tough road ahead here. They're good, but they're not Memorial Cup good. And to get Memorial Cup good with what they have on that roster, they may have to do the types of things that Swift Current and Regina did You know, Regina made it to the Memorial Cup final. Swift Current won a championship. So in the moment, those moves paid off. Um, But that's not how Bruce Hamilton has done his business over the years. And he's done his business very successfully as the uh, owner and GM in Kelowna. Is he going to go against his usual grain because he's kind of forced to? I mean, they've only got a plus two goal differential right now. That's not a Memorial Cup team. Uh, I don't know. I think they're going to be forced to. And then the question is going to be, can Kelowna be an exception to the rule for how long it takes to recover from these situations? So far, we haven't seen many exceptions.
2: Yeah, and Kelowna won't be the only team trying to pick off the carcasses of non-playoff squads. And uh, I don't know if we we have a – there's probably a longer list of buyers right now than there are sellers at this point. And even the selling teams, I'm not sure that they have those big, dynamic players uh, on those rosters uh, to to make Massive impacts Do you see any Like uh, Who are Two or three of the guys You think Would be on the top Of the list For, for teams who want To uh, try to load up This year I think
6: what You'll we'll have to Watch for is Are there going to be Teams that Could be A contender But Don't feel like They're as Slam dunk A contender As maybe some others And View the amount Of buyers out there As an opportunity right. Like Brandon, know, the Brandon We came to a Yeah Right. Kale Clegg and Tanner Kaspeck a couple of years ago, uh, they made great hay out of that. So, you know, as we get closer and closer to January 10th, are there are some teams who were kind of in the mix, but aren't quite there to the degree that uh, they hoped they would be uh, that end up being sellers. You know, I mean, coming into the season, I, I thought, you know, Everett would be kind of in the mix and, and one of those teams that because they bought for so long might have to be a seller, but not when you're in first place by the degree that they're in so far. And I I guess I don't know the answer. You know, Uh, you look at a team like the Medicine Hat Tigers, uh, for example, who are in a real good position. They're 16-7, 1-0. They almost never sell. Uh, If you, you know, look at their actual winning percentage, they're better than any other team in the central division. Um, But if they kind of go 500 up to the deadline, you know, do they look at trading a guy like Kemp so that uh, Desjardins has some assets to build with uh, as he develops his own team? I don't think so. You know, it, it's tougher and tougher to find those uh, potential sellers. You know, Saskatoon, 13-12, um, 1-1 one one on the season right now. This was supposed to be a year where they got Krebs, but not Krebs, they got Kirby Dock back and they had a chance to really go for it. And I don't know how fans in Saskatoon would accept not being in the playoffs again. But if they look at the marketplace and they're kind of hovering around 500, does it make sense for them to try to sell off some of their dynamic assets? Um, you know, yeah. it's it's tough to right now spot the obvious examples. There's some overages out there, but those overages on the non-competitive teams wouldn't be enough to upgrade the really competitive teams. I think you're looking for a couple of these clubs, the Vancouver Giants. You know, they're only 12-10, 1-1, They're only plus one in goal differential, as an example. Um, You're looking for some of these clubs that are kind of on the bubble to pull the trigger and say, we're really not going for it this year, so let's try to feed on what could be a pretty good marketplace.
2: You mentioned Peyton Krebs there a second ago, and uh, I wonder what his his return uh, means to the Winnipeg Ice, who are... In the thick of it, in the East Division, and you get a superstar player like that back and how long it takes him to to round into you know Peyton Krebs' form, we'll see. We'll have to wait and see. But um, getting a guy like that back, that could vault them back into maybe even contenders for their own division. And if that's the case, then possibly the, the conference.
1: Yeah, I don't like Winnipeg as an actual
6: contender as of yet. But I think they're certainly a much improved team. You know, they've got a pretty decent scoring depth in their lineup when that hasn't been the case for years for that ice franchise. And, you know, guys like Tepley and Johnson and McLennan, uh, who've been real nice stories for them in terms of taking their production up to another level, they're still very young. And Craig's a young guy, but he's an exceptional talent. He's going to carry a lot of load. But I don't know if bringing him into the lineup. Uh, on that roster is enough to call yourself a contender, but I think it's a pretty weak East Division right now. So I think there's certainly an opportunity to finish second place. Yeah. And if there's any slow to uh, the Prince Albert Raiders, and I don't suspect there'll be much slow, but uh, maybe you can put a little scare into them. But I don't think so. I think that's Prince Albert's division to win. Uh, but if Winnipeg could get home ice advantage in the first round of the playoffs in their first season in the league, when you know, that franchise has been well out of the playoffs the last few years. That'll be a nice feather in their cap and a real good start, especially to a pretty young group. I think the key is not getting caught up in that and getting into uh, some of the, the buying battles that are happening, potentially, in the Western Hockey League this year. They're still young. Their time isn't now. So uh, I don't think they should, you know, make any costly moves at this point.
2: Yeah, the Winnipeg Ice need goaltending. To me, that is their biggest flaw, and I can't... I still can't believe they didn't pick up Dylan Miskew uh, off waivers. They could have got him for nothing uh, and just had to move out a, a, a defenseman, probably a 20-year-old defenseman. I think uh, Miskew would have been a much more impactful player than uh, either of their two 20-year-old defensemen, but that's just my opinion. Uh, but they have given up more goals in every team in the league outside of the Red Deer Rebels uh, at this point. So uh, unless they shore up uh, that position, I don't think they're going too far. Um, the stats
6: bear that out. You know, they have a team save percentage of 868, which is unwinnable—an uh, unwinnable number. And the fact that they're above 500, or I guess sort of right on that 500 mark, um, with goaltending like that, says they played some good hockey. But you're absolutely right—if they have any interest in, you know, making some noise in the playoffs, because even if they finish second and get home ice advantage, if you get into a playoff series and Giving up a bad goal or two every game. Yeah. That's just devastating to momentum, and you just can't win that way. So, they would absolutely have to upgrade that position somehow and maybe look to do it in such a way that, uh, you know, it's not just for this year. If you can get a 19 year old or something like that that might be back next year, mm-hmm. maybe that's a move that makes more sense for them.
2: I'll watch for that and uh, any other moves around the league as well. Sean, uh, we went a long time. I really appreciate your time. Uh, and I uh, hope we can uh, call you again. It's always a pleasure, Gee. Thank you. Sean Mullen from WHL Unfiltered and a longtime broadcaster around the uh, Western Hockey League as well with uh, some, of the, some of the big stories there and uh, performances around the Western Hockey League right now that uh, I thought were worth talking about. Eight games in the WHL tonight. Winnipeg's in Brandon, Calgary hosting Regina, the Saskatoon Blades are in uh, southern Alberta against the Lethbridge Hurricanes. Kamloops welcomes Portland to town. That should be a good game. Medicine Hat takes on Moose Jaw. Swift Current visits Prince Albert. The Vancouver Giants are in Spokane. The Victoria Royals go to Kennewick, Washington to play the Tri-City Americans. Uh, The Oil Kings are in action uh, tomorrow afternoon. It's a battle of Alberta against the Calgary Hitmen. I'll be uh, watching that game and then uh, jumping in the car, headed to Red Deer to help uh, broadcast the uh, game. Uh, with uh, Cam Moon. So uh, really looking forward to that. Always enjoy uh, working with Cam. One more segment to go this week on the Pipeline Show. It's going to be another 2020 draft spotlight. This time the player in question is Carter Savoy, leading the entire Alberta Junior Hockey League in scoring right now. This is a a recruit of the Denver Pioneers and uh, having a terrific season. He's got loads of skill. You can get to know him better next here on the Pipeline Show.
0: Saretsky. Mitchell, one-time shot, scores!
2: Ian Mitchell, this kid's been red hot here on this road trip. He's got goals in back-to-back games, and he opens the scoring here.
1: Hi, this is Ian Mitchell of the Busch Grove Saints, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. From the organization that brought you Mark Messier, Matt Benning, and Ian Mitchell, Spruce Grove Saints Junior A-Hockey is officially back for the 2019-2020 season with all the action taking place at the Grant-Fure Arena in Spruce Grove. With tickets starting at just $15 per person, AJHL Hockey provides some quality entertainment.
0: For more information, visit www.sprucegrovesaints.ca. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. I got a bad
1: feeling about this.
2: We are back on The Pipeline Show, and we're going to turn on the 2020 draft spotlight once again, close out the show in fine fashion, and uh we're going to look close to home here with the Alberta Junior Hockey League and uh, the top-ranked player for the 2020 draft out of the AJHL this year is my guest. That means I'm chatting with Carter Savoy of the Sherwood Park Crusaders. Uh, Carter, welcome to The Pipeline Show. How are things?
1: How oh, are going? Good. How are you? I'm
2: doing well, but I'm not leading a league in scoring, and I'm not in my NHL draft year. This is a big season for you, and uh, by all accounts, things are going pretty well for for you and the Crusaders. Uh, when you look at the, the way the team has been playing so far this year, I mean, you're in first place in your division. Uh, I, you couldn't have scripted a, a better start to the year, could you?
1: Uh No, I mean, it's going pretty good so far. Uh whole team's buying in. Everyone's playing good, so it's been good.
2: Only uh, two losses in regulation time uh, as we're speaking right now, and you're riding a six-game heater. Uh, What's gone right for the Crusaders, especially lately here, uh, riding that six-game win streak?
1: Um, I think just timely goaltending is a big thing. Our goaltending has been huge for us all year, and they've been playing really good as of late.
2: And both guys are getting to play, right? Yeah. You know, you talk to a lot of players, and, and maybe it's not from the players, but Media, when they're you're watching a game on TV or something, and say the one goaltender is in, and maybe the other goaltender starts the next day, they always say the team plays differently in front of uh, one goalie than they do the other. Do you find that as a player? Do you do you play differently uh, whether it's a uh, Guylander or uh, the other goaltender whose name has slipped my mind? Sorry.
1: Um, I mean, this year it's a little bit different just because uh, Jordan Frey is uh right. he's an off-handed goalie. So just like them playing the puck is a little bit different, but other than that, yeah, not really, no.
2: And for yourself, uh, you're uh, obviously, as I mentioned, leading the league in scoring. Uh, You have 48 points right now, 29 of those are goals, uh, and you've only played 26 games. So uh, way past uh, a point per game player, almost two points per game uh, at this point. Uh, At the start of the year, I mean, would you have been surprised at that uh, amount of offense from yourself, or is this kind of going according to plan for you?
1: Um, coming into my second year this year, I wasn't really sure how to measure things just because of my numbers last year or anything, or how much improvement I would have over the off season. So it was a little bit of a learning process to start the year. But I'm um, just kind of gr- trying to grow every day and keep on building off of what I've started.
2: Well, 73 points last year uh, with the crew uh, in your rookie season in the AJHL, 31 goals. So you're almost to that point already in terms of uh, lighting the lamp. Um, what is the difference between this year and last year for you? Is it simply just having a year under your belt? There's a certain level of comfort that comes into it?
1: Oh, yeah. Comfort is a big thing. Uh, confidence, is, confidence is obviously a big thing with me. My confidence has grown over the last couple of years, and it just keeps on growing. So,
2: Who have your uh, linemates been for the most part this year, Carter, or does it change often?
1: Uh, for the most part of this year, I've played with Arjun Atwal, our coach. Uh, our captain this year, and William Zabernick.
2: Okay, and both of those guys top 10 in scoring uh, this year as well at the A.J., no surprise there. Uh, Arjun, right behind you, do you guys have a bit of a a friendly competition for that scoring
1: race? Uh, No, like, I mean, me, Arjun, Zaps. I'll talk about it at the start of the year. We don't really care who's at the top of the list. We all just want to be there. We all, all want to contribute to the team, so as long as that's happening, we're all good.
2: This is the 2020 Draft uh, Spotlight segment, uh, and what we like to do in this part of the show, Carter, is uh, let my audience, which uh, I was mentioning to you before, it's across North America. So not everybody that's hearing this interview will have ever seen you play, won't know much about the Sher Park Crusaders or the AJHL, and might not know who Carter Savoy is at all. So while you're in my backyard, and I certainly know the name, I'm going to ask you some pretty generic questions that might, uh, might seem silly, but um, let's start with where are you from?
1: Uh, I grew up, grew up in St. Albert, and I'm still living there. And how old were you when you first started playing? Do you remember? Uh, I think I was three, probably, when I first started playing initiation.
2: And do you remember who got you into hockey, or is it just one of those, you're a Canadian kid
1: and everybody grows up wanting to play? Uh, my dad. I was a big hockey fan, so he got me into it.
2: Okay, and I know, have you always been a forward, or did you ever play any other positions as a kid?
1: Uh, my first year novice. I was a defenseman, and then I switched over to forward for the rest rest of my life.
2: Any particular
1: reason? Uh, coach wanted me there, so
2: <laughs> like the offense. I'm yeah. guessing. Yeah. Ever throw the pads on when you were little? I know at at some stage most guys they have to take the rotation and take your turn playing in that. Did you ever have one of those?
1: Yeah, when I was when I was younger, uh, the whole team would alternate playing goaltender, so I strapped the pads on a couple times.
2: And how would you take to that? Not so much, I'm guessing.
1: Uh, I mean, I was okay. Not the best, obviously, but I held my own, I think. Tell me about,
2: uh, I know your your path is uh, eventually going to the NCAA, and we'll get to that in a bit, but was the WHL Bantam draft and being chosen by the Regina Pats, um, was that a, a day that you'd had circle on the calendar? I know a lot of kids get to stay home from school and kind of follow it, but for you, knowing you were going the college route, what was the Bantam Draft Day like for you?
1: Um, it was sort of a learning experience. I mean, I didn't know where I was going to go. I didn't know who I was going to go to. Um, so it's all just a learning experience that way. And, like, seeing mm-hmm. the names that were drafted is, like, pretty cool because you know all the kids. You grew up playing against them. So it was just a pretty cool day all around.
2: Uh, but at that time, you already knew you were going to college. I don't know if you knew Denver was the school for you at that point. But had you already had your mindset which direction you were going?
1: Um, I mean, like, I had an idea uh, that I wanted to go to college. It was always, like, a good option for me. I still was undetermined at the time, though.
2: Okay. Uh, now, I, you mentioned you have a lot of friends that you grew up playing with and, and against, I'm sure, and uh, a lot of those guys were drafted, and some of them have gone on to
1: the WHL. Was
2: that temptation there for you? Uh,
1: I mean, a little bit. Just uh, watching all them, uh, them go and proceed to go on to the WHL, but... um. Knowing I wanted to go to college was like a strong opinion for me, I think.
2: And, I, and we'll get to the Denver stuff in a second. Uh, obviously, uh, lots of news this uh, over the last 18 months or so. Yourself, uh, obviously, your brother is a very high-profile player as well. And uh, for the uh, listener who might not make that connection yet, uh, Matthew Savoy is your uh, younger brother and uh, first overall pick by the uh, Winnipeg Ice uh, in the uh, Bantam draft. And they also acquired your rights uh, from... Uh, the Regina Pats, but uh, you have uh, maintained steadfast. You're going the college route. Has that wavered at all?
1: Uh, no. Ever since I uh, committed to Denver, I've always wanted to go there. Ever since I went and visited their campus, I fell in love with it. So yeah, it's been the plan.
2: All right, let's talk about Denver and uh, why being a Pioneer is the right fit for you. There's been a number of AHL guys who have gone to that particular school. Ian Mitchell is there right now uh, and is a you know an all-star uh, for the Pioneers. But why was it the right
1: school for you? Um, I just, like as soon, like I said, as soon as I went there, I fell in love with everything. I loved the rink. I loved the atmosphere around the campus. I loved the coaching. Um, just everything, really. And then, obviously, me knowing the Mitchell family helped a little bit to go there. So, yeah, that was a big part.
2: Okay. I didn't know that uh, you had that connection with uh, their family. I guess not surprising, then, not being that far away in Calhoun. Um, now I know you're you're good friends with Michael Benning, he's your teammate uh, with the Crusaders He's also uh, going to Denver eventually, as is uh, Matthew Davis, goaltender with uh, your arch-rival the Spruce Grove Saints, uh, but nice to know that you'll have some, uh, some familiar faces there too
1: uh, Yeah, for sure, me and Mike grew up playing together pretty much our whole lives We're really close, and then uh, I got the honour to play with Matt Davis in Russia this past summer So that was a good experience too
2: that reminds me, I forgot all about that. What was that experience like for you uh, playing in the Junior Club World Cup and, and going overseas, and uh, your team did fairly well?
1: Yeah, it was a really good experience. Uh, met lots of new faces, uh, new friends for life for sure. Um, we did pretty good. We lost to Russia in the finals. Yeah, uh, They had a pretty good team, so yeah, it was good.
2: Was that your first experience uh, kind of representing, I guess you were representing the Alberta Junior Hockey League, but you are representing Canada in a way as well? Yeah. that That was your first taste of that?
1: um i when i was younger i went to italy with uh, the western canada selects
2: okay never gets tiring though i would uh, i don't imagine
1: no that, those are always fun yeah
2: now you'll have that uh, opportunity i'm sure at the uh, world junior a challenge uh, here coming up uh, as well uh, you're on the camp roster uh, I, I don't think it would surprise anybody if you were uh, on that team um you're looking forward to that tournament
1: yeah i'm really looking forward um starts on sunday we get to camp uh gotta show sure the coaching staff what I'm made of, so it should be good.
2: For folks who ha- are listening to this and have never seen you play, uh, they're gonna pull up your, you know, your your bio uh, at Elite Prospects or something like that, and they're they're gonna see five foot nine. I think you're listed at five ten by Central Scouting, but and see huge numbers. Uh, you, but that doesn't really explain what kind of a player you are. So, can you give us a bit of a self uh, scouting report?
1: Um, I think I'm a, an offensive threat every time I try to touch the ice. Uh. I like to make plays with the puck. I like to find the open man on the back door. Um, I think I have pretty good vision and good hockey at So,
2: I know I know when I look at your numbers from last year, you had more assists than goals. This year, it's the opposite. Is that more, like we all already know you're a playmaker, a skilled playmaker. Was there a conscious effort for you to shoot the puck
0: more this year?
1: Uh, yeah, I think uh, mostly my dad's been really on me the last couple of years just to <laughs> shoot the puck more and uh utilize my shot so i've started doing that a lot more this year it's uh, worked out so far so
2: a couple more questions for you uh carter and i, I really appreciate your time carter savoy is my guest uh, of the sherwood park crusaders and uh, will be with the denver pioneers uh, what when are you going to denver by the way is it next year or the year after
1: uh, i'm still not too sure on that i think i'm planning on going next year
2: okay i should have mentioned or should have asked you that a little bit earlier but uh is the nhl draft on your mind much i know the rankings come out to various rankings, and everybody seems to think you're probably you know a top uh, two round or three round kind of player. But do you think about the draft much, and do you follow you know who's got you ranked
0: where?
1: Um, no, not really. I I, do, I just I strongly believe, in if a team likes you, you are going to draft you. Um, I'm just trying to play my game and uh, show show everyone what I got. So,
2: so there isn't a motivation to be like I, I want to be in the first round. I want to get to the first round. You don't really. You know, I don't think that there's a if you're going to get drafted, it's when you're going to get drafted. But that's not really a, a big thing for you?
1: Uh, no, not really. I mean, just to get drafted would be a huge honor. And uh, I think uh, it doesn't really matter where you get drafted as long as once you get drafted, what you do with it. So, uh,
2: Lastly, I have to ask you about your brother. And, uh, you know, he's getting a lot of hype, obviously. And uh, I'm a younger brother, so I always have the, the, the soft spot for the younger bro- brother. But as the older brother... Is there a healthy competition between the two of you? That you know, sibling rivalry goes a long way. It's, it, it, do you uh, do you find that? You know, if you're on the outdoor rink or something, you're you're trying to put him in his place.
1: I mean, yeah, we're we're pretty competitive. We grew up with a rink in our basement, so yeah, we've always had some good battles.
2: What makes him uh, such a talented and, and highly touted player?
1: Uh, he's super special. Just the way he skates, the way he thinks the game—just just super special player. You taught
2: him everything he knows.
1: Uh, a couple things, yeah, <laughs> couple things.
2: Well, Carter, listen, I really appreciate your time. Uh, best of luck the rest of the way here in the AJ with the with the Crusaders this season. Uh, it's, it's a fantastic year so far. Uh, good luck at the World Junior A Challenge, and uh, I hope we get to chat again uh, down
1: the road. Thanks a lot. See
2: ya. It was Carter Savoy who uh, leads the uh, AJHL in scoring right now, on his way to Denver, as you heard him mention either uh, next year or the year after. He's not a hundred percent sure. Just yet, but um, boy, that's that's going to be a big get for Denver. Obviously, from a pioneer standpoint, uh, they had to have been disappointed with the news that uh, Matthew Savoy wasn't going to continue going the college route. But when you look at it, and even if he was going the college route, Matthew Savoy might have never have uh, seen Denver uh, once he's done at the draft. He might step right into the NHL. So who who knows? You know, Matthew will play. Well, he's playing a little bit this year uh, for the Winnipeg Ice to this point, has uh, five games under his belt. Uh, But, I mean, he'll be a uh, full-time WHLer next year. The year after that, 2022 is his NHL draft year, so he might play those two years and then be done with the WHL, whereas if he continued going on to the NCAA, he might not get there until after the uh, the 22-23 season anyway. And so as disappointing it is to lose the uh, commitment, it's a body that might not have shown up for you uh, regardless the Denver Pioneers are going to be just fine. That's a uh, still a very, very good program, and they've got lots of players coming, including Carter Savoy. That wraps up this week's episode of the Pipeline Show. I want to thank all four guests that you heard on the program and uh, looking forward to your feedback at Twitter, at TPS Let me know what you thought of uh, the uh, guest segments that you heard, also the topics at the start of the show that we talked about. Next week on the show, well, it'll be December. We start turning our attention to the uh, World U-20 Tournament, the World Juniors. But that doesn't mean we won't have a 2020 draft spotlight segment. We'll have an NCAA campus report, CHL insiders, and in the dub segment, everything you've come to know and expect from the Pipeline Show. But as I uh, put as the question of the day, there are other leagues we we need to talk about as well, uh, whether it's U-Sport or the NAHL, which is getting a lot of mentions online for the question of the day as well in that thread. Uh, the ushl and cjhl lots we can talk about the american hockey league i probably don't talk enough about the ahl here on the program so maybe we'll do that as well but between now and then get out and watch some junior and college hockey so you and i can talk about it next week here on the pipeline show until then everybody i'm gee flaming see ya